I'm Alex Green, and this is Stereo Embers, the podcast. Check this out. by my guest today on the program, Alana Davis. Let me tell you a little bit about Alana Davis. I've got that super touch. Chances are I've got too much. I've come to let you see that you can also be free. Now, I'll bet you didn't think my Alana Davis introduction was going to start with a bad brains quote, but listening to Alana Davis's smooth blend of jazz and soul, I'll bet you also didn't know that she's a huge bad brains fan. Born in Greenwich Village, Davis's mother was a hippie, and her father was the hard, bebop, piano-playing legend Walter Davis Jr., a musician who played with Charlie Parker and Dizzy Gillespie. If you were raised in the 80s in Greenwich Village and your mom was a hippie and your dad was a famous jazz musician, it'd be no surprise that you'd gravitate to music at a very young age. And that's exactly what Alana Davis did. Although she always sang, her first instrument was the bass guitar, and by 11, she had fallen in love with bands like Steel Pulse and 24-7 Spies. By 12, she fake-ID'd it and became a regular at hardcore shows at CBGB's. Now, she was 12, and she got in every single time. I had a fake ID in 1986 when I was 16, and the first time I used it, not only did I not get into the Slayer show, they called my mom had to come pick me up at the box office. When we got into the car, she said, you think you look 18? Look at these guys. She was pointing at all these long-haired, bearded Slayer fans smoking on the curb. You look nothing like these guys, my mom said. They've already gone through puberty. They're probably already sleeping with girls. I don't remember if I was grounded, but I do remember it was a very long drive home. But back to our story. So, Alana Davis loved hardcore, and she really loved Bad Brains. The energy, the truth, and the spirit of the music was a life-affirming element in an otherwise confusing world. Now, what wasn't confusing for Davis was Greenwich Village. The Bohemian capital was a haven for outsiders, the birthplace of the Beat Generation, 
and a refuge for counterculture movements. Davis always felt in sync with her neighborhood, but socially, she never felt like everyone else. So music became a way for her to not only express herself, but also a way to feel steady during the unsteady years of adolescence. Now, at first, Davis had the semblance of a career plan in place, and it went a little something like this. Play bass in a reggae band and be a statistician. (laughs) And you thought I threw you off with the bad brain stuff. Yes, you heard me right. A statistician. While in college, Davis found she had a talent for statistics. But, and I don't think this is a spoiler alert, data interpretation was not the path she ended up taking. After a few years knocking about with guitarist Mark Stone, Davis signed to Elektra Records and put out two albums. 1997's Blame It On Me and 2001's Fortune Cookies. The former spawned the ubiquitous radio hit 32 Flavors, and the latter was critically acclaimed. But by 2002, Davis had grown disenchanted with the record label business and decided to go it alone. She formed her own label called Tigris Records, and in 2005, she put out the fabulous album Surrender Dorothy. In 2006, she sang on tour with Thievery Corporation, and then, well, then that was it for a while. So, since we last saw Alana Davis, she got married, she had a daughter, and though she wasn't making records, she was still writing songs, singing covers in the shower, and playing guitar. In other words, she never really stopped. In May of 2018, her new album came out, it's called Love Again, and it's a triumphant return and arguably her best work yet. Featuring the Eurythmics Dave Stewart on guitar and a few tracks, the album is a percussive blast of jazzy reggae, and acoustic soul. From the sexy sway of Pretty Like Money, to the island shuffle of Get Along, to the biting clothes of the Dark Ones, Davis on this album is clearly at the height of her powers. Her phrasing is precise, her delivery is perfect, and her voice is one of the finest you'll ever hear. Now, this is just a partial list, but here are some highlights from Alana Davis's career. Blame It On Me got nominated for a Grammy in 1998, She toured with Jack Johnson, Ziggy Marley, and Ben Harper. She collaborated with Pharrell, Jay-Z, and Sly and Robbie. She's had her music featured in a Super Bowl commercial, and her albums have earned accolades from the New York Times, Time Magazine, and Rolling Stone. Now, this is a great conversation. It's loose, it's breezy, it's fun. And I was going to say, by the end of it, you're going to fall in love with Alana Davis. But you know what? You're going to fall in love with her in the first few minutes. Enjoy this conversation with me and Alana Davis, right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast. I'm not sure if I should be embarrassed about being so punctual. Oh, I love it. No, I already had my headphones in, man. I'm on point. I'm ready. I'm punctual, too. It's all right. It's all Do you good. think that the that the late guy is kind of like a, the cool guy, though? Or is he a jerk? Um, the late guy? The late guy doesn't give a fuck about anybody but himself, clearly. There so. you go. <laughs> He's probably a jerk. He's probably a jerk. I heard... but, but, but I honestly, let's be real. Honestly, we're all the late guys sometimes. <laughs> right? I, you uh, know, I didn't want to be the late guy for you, though. Ah, you're sweet. Thanks. How are you? <laughs> um, I am well. I'm, I'm, I'm excited. I've, I've been touring, you know, in these little tiny little stints. And it's, and it's weird. Every time I come off of tour, I'm like, okay, back to normal life. And then I have to get ready for tour. And it's, 
it's weird. It's so different than this was. I don't know if this is just me or the music business. If everything's changed, maybe this is what everybody does, like live two lives or something. I don't know. I mean, like like playing clubs. I mean, doesn't it feel like like these little clubs or whatever, that it almost feels like it really is the suitable place for for music to actually be heard and witnessed and experienced. I agree. Oh, completely. As long as they're not like, you know, scraping force across the plates and stuff. But, but yeah, I know. I agree. And you know, it's funny. It's really funny. I've, I've played some shows that were, you know, massive, you know, where you couldn't even make out the person's face in the front row because they were, you know, 20 feet behind a barricade and all this crazy stuff. And, and there's nothing intimate about that at all. And for the way I write songs, you know, it's like, I need to look in your eyes. I should be playing for small rooms of people because I write all my songs in the small house. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> I don't, I don't really get that level with that stuff. I really get it. But um, yeah, you know, it's funny, actually, it's so funny to mention that too, because someone asked me yesterday, they said, so do you miss, um, you know, being on tour all the time and playing small venues or playing big venues or playing whatever? And I was like, yeah, no, I just miss. I just miss looking in people's eyes, you know, and like feeling like I made that connection because that's why I write songs, you know, I'm like that loner kid who doesn't have it until I connect with people through my tunes. So, so intimate's good. Well, you know, it's funny. I, I watched the Amy Winehouse documentary last year and I kind of realized mm-hmm. that she just wanted to play Smoky Club. She didn't really want to play Glastonbury. Her, her music didn't really translate mm-hmm. to a, to a venue like that. Oh, yeah. She wanted to do Billie Holiday, didn't she, honey? I mean, she was as intimate as a guest, for sure. Right, and Billie, Billie Holiday yeah. wasn't going to play Coachella. I mean, that, you know, that was... <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty funny. That's actually worked. really funny. <laughs> Can you imagine that? <laughs> yeah, no. No, no. That would that the whole thing would have given her so much anxiety. She'd been backstage, you know, like hitting her smoke and just been done. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, but... But it's funny, it's a different world these days, you know? I mean, these days, um, you know, artists have to be business people, too, and all this stuff. And I don't know, it's weird. You know, I grew up in a time when, when music was, like, you know, the most defining thing in my life, you know? And to find culture, right? Like, to find what you wear, who you hang with, everything. And, and these days, it's like, pop is just, it's just pop. I don't, I'm not sure what it represents as far as our culture goes at this point. I really don't get it. Well, how was your but, re-entry and, into the music world? Like, was that, how did that feel when you sort of like came back and went and took a look around and went, what's all this now? It felt just like that, Alex. <laughs> it was like, <laughs> I was, it was like landing on Mars. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's like, well, cause to be honest, you know, I have a daughter now and I hear um, a lot of the current music, you know, through her, but I, I so seldom as in like never, hear anything that you know grabs me in a deep way you know I get it I get the teeny bop stuff and I love to dance as much as anybody else and I love music that just keeps moving and you know pop music can be light and all of that but but you know like I said I mean culture wise I feel like music is also supposed to represent how we're feeling as a nation and represent the activism that exists within our artistic culture and I don't know I don't that's not what I hear in music so so yeah so I stood around looking like what the hell you know, like I just landed on a, a weird planet because this is whatever I do is not seemingly what people are doing right now musically. Did you but always I don't feel, care. Like, like in your life, did you feel that way? Like when you were growing up and you were singing, did you feel yes. out of step? I've always been that chick, man, of course. And that's fine. I, I'm sure that's why I write songs. You know, God forbid I was happy and had friends and a normal life and was well adjusted, right? I wouldn't have a thing to say. <laughs> <laughs> 
mean, really, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's true. Like, you know, the struggle makes you interesting. That's funny. Wow, that's good. I like that. Can I put that on a t-shirt? Yes. <laughs> okay. I'll put Alex Green. Yeah, no, it's true. It's it's funny because, you know, like like I said, I mean, now, now that I have a daughter, it's like I, I feel like there's a sense of responsibility that comes with making my, my records. And I want it to be something that's meaningful, which... You know, she doesn't care about it at all. Like, kids don't care if, mu- if music is meaningful. They don't recognize that it's supposed to be their voice and it's supposed to create change and inspiration. And, um, you know, I don't know. Maybe this is just the thing that happens, the pendulum that swings, you know, because my mom certainly laughed at me and my musical choices as well, you know. But at the end of the day, I think I recognized that music was valuable. You know, it's not just a style thing. It's like, you know, man, I... It, it's so weird to me that nobody pays for music anymore. I mean, when I was a kid and, and even up to like today, like I, I scrape my money to put it down on music that I love because I feel like it's valuable, you know? So it's, it's kind of a weird time when that's no longer valuable. You know, I, I appreciate that people want to get everything for free if they can. I'm, I'm all about that too, but I don't know. I don't know. It makes me a little sad. So I feel a little out of place having re-entered the strange stratosphere, but I like my record and I feel like for the people that want to hear it, um, I'm here. I'm always here for them. And that's it. It's not for everybody. It's never been for everybody. That's okay. Well, I mean, part of the problem is, is that music is now sort of like a public water fountain where you can just, you can get it on tap, (laughs) right? And so it's not, it doesn't feel valuable until you can't get it anymore. Um, Right. That's interesting. That's interesting. Yeah. It's everywhere. It's accessible. It's so accessible. You don't have to try to get it. So maybe, yeah, it, it maybe does kind of devalue it a little bit, huh? Yeah, I mean, like everyone tells you, like, oh, there's there's a drought, but you go to Safeway and there's 15 different kinds of water you can buy, and you're like, what drought? But as soon as you can't get That's that, it. right, then it becomes more valuable. Yeah, it's true. Well, and that's how I felt, you know, the last um, years, I've kind of been traveling a little bit, um, uh, and I, I don't know, everywhere you go, outside of America, you know, people have to work a little harder to get the same freedoms that we have here. And um, you, you, you start to appreciate things like, you know, live music or, you know, fresh vegetables or, you know, I don't know. I, I think in some ways we kind of overwhelm ourselves with choices, you know, yeah. and, and therefore don't choose any, you know, <laughs> I just walked into a grocery store the other day. In fact, and I swear I went in for three things. I should have written them down. Because I walked in and I just looked at the shelves and looked at the, I was like, oh my God, I was so overwhelmed. I, just, I walked out the goddamn store. I just walked out. I was like, I'll come back when I really need something. Like, this is ridiculous. Well, do you remember, because you, you and I both grew up in the 80s. And do you remember when you were a kid, it's like, you know, go, go get pretzels. And there was one type of pretzel. Now there's like 45 different kinds of pretzels. <laughs> you could never make the wrong choice. Now no. you can totally blow it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you could like, I mean, maybe you'd get the wrong shape of pretzel, but they were all the same. Uh, They all tasted exactly the same. I know. I know. To be honest with you, just the other day, I was so bummed because I asked my partner to get almond milk when, you know, at the store. I'm like, this should be no big deal. And I was really specific. I was like, vanilla, sweetened, flavored, blah, blah. It's on sale, blah, blah, blah. You know, no brought the wrong one home and I'm like so upset I haven't drunk tea in, in three days I'm like so tight it's so stupid talk about first world problems right I know no I, I know it's exactly the thing. now let's talk a bit I was curious to know when you 
the plan to enter the music industry the first time around, was it was that really the plan or was there another plan that got disrupted? That's a really profound question, Alex. Deep. I no, I never I never it was not the plan. It was not the plan. How did you know that? <laughs> you know, like make me cry. No, seriously, how did you know that? I didn't know. I'm I... the most reluctant musician in the world. I'm so reluctant. My plan, I think my plan was to be, be a, a bass player in a reggae band. That's all I really wanted to do. Or, or be the background singer in a jazz band. Those were my plans. Those were my plans. I have no idea what happened. Not a clue. Can you explain it to me? <laughs> well, you're just awesome and people found out. Oh, man. That's, that's very nice of you to say it. Uh, <laughs> I, you know... No, I didn't plan and on anything. I'm really thankful that the universe showed me that music was my calling because it, it is. It's the thing that's given me peace. It's, I'm sure it's the reason I'm here. You know, I don't want to get into all that dark stuff, but I've had lots of dark moments in my life. And it's usually music that just pulls me right up out of the quicksand, you know. So I'm very thankful that I have it just for me. But the whole crossover point where it became my career is awkward. That's That's a little... It's awkward, but it's also humbling because I've realized that there are other people who need it too, huh? Yeah. You know? It's not just me, right? The selfish chick over here thought I could just write those <laughs> songs for myself. And and as it turns out, other people need it too. So, um, yeah, so it's weird. It's been an interesting journey for me because I'm scared of people and I'm very reclusive. And really, you know, as a, as a teenager, I was like, you know, it's like a goth kid and a punk kid, any, anything to just, you know just not get attention from anybody and to listen to music that reflected the way I felt, which was always question marks, you know, and I don't know. So it's weird that I ended up becoming a songwriter, but, but in, in many ways, maybe it's completely natural, you know, because I have artist friends and I think a lot of us are that way, you know, it's like, you know, it's, it, I don't know. How long can you stand on the outside without eventually pasting stuff on the outside window? You want to start putting up pictures of what you actually see. Even if I'm standing on the outside, I still have an opinion. I still have my experiences, you know, so, um, and I've learned I'm not alone. You know, there's plenty of outsiders. We probably have the biggest club as the insider. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I, you know, right? you got to find, you know, I was talking to Kristen Hirsch about a year ago and she was saying that you just got to find your teammates. Ah, that's it. Yeah. Or your star family. I've heard yeah. it called that as well. You know how you meet somebody? Um, or connect with somebody and it's like you've just known them forever you yeah. don't even have to you don't have to talk you're just like yep sit next to me you ingratiate my energy we're people of the same cloth and yeah I think that connection is that's that's I think that's why I came back you know honestly into this industry because it's so ironic um, industry is a, a word I can barely spell and I don't I have no idea, you know, I don't really, I don't really get it, this whole industry, but I know that I need to make music and I, apparently there are people who need to hear music. So there's a synergy there without even needing a fucking industry. (laughs) Fuck the industry. Um, Fuck the industry. Well, before the industry, there were people who making music and people listening to music, right? The industry comes after. I'm sure it's the third person, right? We're the first two. Art art can (laughs) exist without an industry. You better believe it. It always did. It always did. You know, money fucks up everything. Man. As soon as somebody realized they could make a dollar off of this shit, they started prostituting it. And it's unfortunate because then you have to search 
so much harder for the purity. You know, random places online, I search for that random music, you know, that, that nobody's playing on the radio, that is just going to speak to my heart or my soul or my moment or whatever. Um, so, it, you know, the industry is eh, it's just on the side, you know, it's like, who cares? It's always there, but there's always music. There's always new music and new people putting out stuff to find. Thank God it's all out there. We can find it. And apparently now we don't even have to fucking pay for it. So <laughs> That's right. That's right. You so can just there find we it. are. I, I went to my to my dad's house and I was cleaning out some stuff from my old bedroom and I found some – because I'm a writer and I found some of my old journals and I thought of course you even are. like as like a 15 or 16-year-old, I, I had a voice. Like I could definitely see that it was me who was writing those. The humor was there. The, the voice was there. <laughs> I just didn't know what to yeah. do with it. So I didn't know how to make it good. I didn't know how to use it. Did you in terms of your mm. voice – I mean you always – I'm sure you always knew you could sing – how did you first, or when I should say, did you first learn what to do with that voice? Oh, um, that's interesting. God, you ask such interesting questions. Um, you know, I, um, I think, to be honest, I had this show when I was really young. Um, and, um, and I was so nervous to sing. I was so nervous to sing, I guess, in front of people. It was so different than you know, writing in my room or singing to the corner of the wall or whatever kind of awkward place that I've always written in. Um, and, um, and this lovely lady um, was waiting at the bathroom and I finally apologized. I said, I'm sorry. Like I'm, I'm coming out in a minute. I just have to get my head together. And she was like, uh, take as much time as you need. I'm not leaving. I need you. And it was weird. It was just a weird, like, I don't know. But I think it's funny that you asked me that because I thought of this woman recently and it, I didn't meet the woman or anything, but she had heard me sing once before. And she came and she presented herself and she didn't give a fuck how long she had to wait for me to come out of the bathroom, how many times I had to puke, how ill I would be when I got on the stage. She needed this human connection. So I think, I think somewhere probably around there, I recognize that you know, I had to get out of myself. And the, 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 this thing is big. You know, this is big. It's like, you know, I can, I can't balance a checkbook. I can't, I can't remember what I went to the grocery store to buy. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. But like, I, I can maybe touch somebody and that has value. And so it's wonderful. It's, it's allowed a person like myself who's never had a tremendous amount of self-confidence to feel entirely valuable without being perfect, successful, skinny, gorgeous, anything. I'm, I'm valuable because there's a connection. So I think, I think that, you know, maybe that time I started to see it was bigger than me, you know? So that's, that helped me because like you, as a writer, you know, you need someone to hear your stuff and tell you that it's, that it's good and that they need it and they want more. That helps. That helps pull the yarn out of you. Um, so you should send me some of your writing, and maybe I can do that for you. Oh, my God. I will totally send you my writing. I'd be honored to send you my stuff. Um, Thanks. Vice versa. I, you know, it's funny because I find that when I write, I'm, I'm so much better at being a writer than I am at being a person. <laughs> Boy, I get that. Right? <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, you know, it's really interesting. I hope you can, I don't know if you can see this parallel, but you just mentioned that. And I'm thinking about social media. I'm looking at my phone, all these weird things are popping up, you know, and like, 
honestly, in some kind of a way, we, I think we all, I think we all get that, you know, there's something, I mean, it's, it's kind of like the anonymity they talk about on Facebook and Instagram and that sort of stuff. Like you can put yourself out there and, you know, that, that part that you decide to put out is kind of more you than you. Like our day to day is difficult, but I, if I wrote down a list of the things that represent me, I can stand by that with much pride. You know what I mean? Meanwhile, here I am trying to balance my checkbook, right? You know, but there's <laughs> yeah. something really special about that. I think that's part of why other people who, unlike you and I, maybe don't even write, can create these beautiful lives for themselves on fake book and Instagram and all of that, you know, like, because we all have so many facets, I know, you know, and we're all bogged down by the stress of daily living. But then there's who you really want to be and who your heart really is and who your soul really is. And I think, I think that's part of why those sites have become so popular because we get to paint that picture, you know, who we are. And yeah, it's way easier to be <laughs> than it is to, to be Alex Green like, <laughs> <laughs> or to be Alana on a daily basis. <laughs> yeah. Well, you can filter it out. You just, you just yeah. filter out the nonsense, right? You, it's like, you know, here's a, here's a picture of my book. Never mind that I haven't put on pants yet. Right, right, right. <laughs> no, nobody <laughs> needs to know that. Right. Unless you really want to tell them. And that's a whole other <laughs> and thing. Some people do. You know, it's another wonderful way to garner attention. Yes. But um, yeah, it's weird, but it's, but it's true. It's like, and, and, you know, it's funny because I mean, there's this part of me as a musician, like, you know, that looks at like the current state of affairs and I'm kind of like, yeah, I, just, I could just stand in the corner and scratch my head for a long time because I don't understand. But in another way, it's like, this is great. This is change. You know, if we didn't have change, we'd be dead. You know, change is the thing that makes us grow. So that's all right. I don't mind feeling like an old bitch and just have to get, you know, with a new program. It's great. It's, I don't know what a hashtag is and I never will, but I mean, other than that, I'm really fine with it being a new world. <laughs> Did um, you, um, I heard an interview with Steve Perry from Journey a couple weeks ago and he was talking about how he literally didn't sing for like almost 30 years and that when he started recording his new album, he had to figure out like, what does my voice sound like now? How do I, how do I get that back? <laughs> when you were not, you know, you, you've been away. Um, were you yeah. still singing? Were you still thinking about music? Were you still like, where were you in terms of you with your relationship with your voice? Like what was happening? Um, well, you know, my voice, I mean, before I give it to anybody else, I, I it, it's always there for me. She's never stopped healing me. She, I'm talking in the third person about my voice. That's strange. But, you know, <laughs> it's it, first, first, it's there for me and it, it heals me. I, I'm a, I'm as big or bigger of a bathroom singer than anybody, you know, and I'm, I'm, I, I constantly am singing whether I'm writing or not. I'm always singing. Um, it, there's something really great about the vibration, you know, of the hum, just even just humming, just, uh, and I feel it in the vibration. I can change. I can get like, slow vibration if I need to slow down I can make it a hard vibration if I need to exert some energy and let off steam and I don't know I use it all the time um and so I've written a lot of songs that I didn't record on this album but um but music never never really leaves me it's the only it's the most familiar part of me and I'm so thankful for it um and as I said, selfish maybe for not sharing because it's been a while, you know, this, this record I made this year was, I don't know, like 14 years, I think, since I made a, a record, which is ridiculous. You know, I made it's, it's ridiculous. 
but um but I felt like it I felt like these songs were more than more than just for me you know because I've found an escape um there's a lot of people in our world right now who I think have a lot of pressure on them and I just am one of those people and I I you can't always run away from your situation but sometimes you have to change your situation and I've gone to seek new perspectives so many different times and I often return back to what I know, but I think those journeys are useful. And that's part of why this time I felt like I needed to actually record these songs because there's a journey I took that I don't think everybody's able to take, but as humans, if I express my journey, you kind of get to take it, you know? Um, and so then we all connect. Um, and I needed that too. You know, I needed to come back in connect a little bit too so yeah so I always have music for me and it's always just you know me in the corner and me in the bathroom but sometimes you want to share it <laughs> well yeah so I, I would love to uh to be your neighbor and go oh she's singing again let's, <laughs> let's I know. my neighbor always must have that yeah that's always the case I'm <laughs> yeah I'm that girl um, yeah. What's she doing? Yeah, two in the fucking morning. Yeah, she's fucking warbling. <laughs> there she is. Yeah, I'm sorry. I've cursed. I'm cursing so much. Is that curse? horrible? Is that no, really really bad? No, listen. I'm you sorry. Can, you can curse away. You're. It'd be so funny if, like, in a couple of years, your neighbor puts out a box set called the bathroom tapes. He's just been taping oh! you all this time. Oh my god. <laughs> That'd be great. I hope it sells, and I hope it gives me a cut. You know what I mean? Probably the some shower. good shit. <clears throat> the shower Probably sessions. Some good stuff. Yeah. You, you know what's funny? In the shower and around the house is when I always sing the cover songs. People ask me to sing it. I'll never sing. You know, like why don't you ever sing Aretha Franklin? I'm like, because it's Aretha Franklin. But in my shower, I mean, I get it. It's wonderful. But we all do that. We all need that. It's music, it's why it's, it's so healing, you know? Anybody can do it. This is magic. I've been out there searching for someone to love me like you do. I have to face it, there's no replacement, so I keep coming back. Keep wandering out in the dark But my 
album that you've made with your daughter on the planet so was, <laughs> right it was, that, was yeah. that were you aware of like oh that's a, that's a valuable pair of ears were you thinking about how she might hear the music or would that just be too in your head you know what if she hadn't liked all of the songs they wouldn't have made the record <laughs> at all at all no she absolutely is my producer my everything no she's her ears are huge and and she doesn't even you know recognize or appreciate it yet she's got a beautiful gift for not only hearing when music is good but recognizing bullshit and i love it it's fantastic she's been a wonderful help um yeah there's some songs i thought i was going to include they didn't mean anything to her so they didn't make the records <laughs> how about that <laughs> yeah that's fair i mean it's true it's true but she's my real, that's, this is the real stuff. This is like mini me, man. If there is such a thing, I don't know. You know, she drives me up a wall and I'm like, what on earth? Who is that? And I'm like, oh, I, right. I made that. <laughs> so, <laughs> Do you, are you, you know? Are you, well, sure. And are you sympathetic to her in terms of like your dad was a badass and you were growing up with this badass musician who was so great and legendary and now your daughter is growing up with another badass and do oh you, listen to you come on. <laughs> you're so and great do you realize do you kind of think like for her like what that you're very sensitive to what that experience must be like i don't know you know i don't think she cares at all to be honest like we were in the grocery store the other day and you know one of my songs came on in the produce section it's always in the produce section and i don't know why but <laughs> <laughs> she's like She's like really excited, you know, until I started to harmonize with myself and she got so haired. <laughs> she was like, no, mom, no, like, no, like, <laughs> no, no. Like, she's sure I don't get it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I think in a few years, maybe, maybe, hopefully, the way that I did, maybe she'll start to connect or maybe. <clears throat> I didn't just take poke, even though it sounds like <laughs> that was just spit. Um, but she doesn't. I don't think she really gets it or cares. Honestly, she doesn't give a shit. I am as uncool as any other parent has ever been. <laughs> you know, growing up in in Greenwich Village, that is where you grew up. Is that correct? Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. So I mean, I imagine growing up there in the '60s would have been incredible, but growing up in the '80s probably wasn't too shabby. No, it was badass. Are you kidding? It was fantastic. Well, and plus, you know, between the 60s and the 80s, we had Stonewall happen. Okay, so I grew up in gay Mecca, and my mom was a hippie. So we had such colorful 
beautiful, unique people in our lives. I was raised there. I was born in, in, in the village, you know, but, but there were people who came to the village to be themselves. And my mom was one of them. She moved from upstate New York to the city at 16 because she did not fit in, you know, and it was a really wonderful time. I think in the eighties, there was a kind of a certain kind of a freedom that people were expressing and envelopes they were pushing that um, were really special. I mean, I remember, for example, I had a friend who lived in upstate and she like, she almost died when she saw that, like that I had black nail polish. She's like, where's that? I was like, yeah, I can get this. Like where I live, we have black nail polish. We have fluorescent hair dye. We were the first, you know, manic panic hair dye, like this, you know, vegetable based neon colored hair dye was created on West 8th street in the village. And so, of course, I had crazy hair dye and crazy nail polish and all this fun shit at such a young age. And we were just pushing the envelope. Like, you couldn't, you didn't have that most places. And I realized today how lucky I was for an upbringing like that. I mean, you know, as a kid, of course, you don't get to choose your environment. You just grow up wherever your parents stick you. But um, I, I had some really amazing days. I mean, I was going to CBGB's with a fake ID when I was like 12 and I saw incredible matinees. I don't know if you're into hardcore and that kind of stuff, but the New York hardcore scene in the eighties was ridiculous. And I don't know if it was because of my perspective or if I was my height, I don't know, but I, I, you know, I was, I have the fake IDs, man. I saw so much good music and I got to have so much fun as a kid. I mean, God, in some ways, I just, I wish kids today could have that kind of freedom. And, and I don't think they do. You know, I think these days, most of the kids I know from my daughter and her peers or, you know, other friends of mine with their kids, you know, it's like they live online and that's cool and stuff, but you're sitting on your ass experiencing somebody else living their life. Go live your fucking life. That's what, that's what bugs me when my daughter, I'm like, I'm like, it's like three hours of you watching other people's lives on this freaking computer go live your goddamn life and make a video of that like right. you post the video you know i mean it's just i don't know it's weird to me you know because i was i was so active i just there was so much to do in the city you know and and i think every neighborhood's like that There's, every neighborhood has its shit you know it's cool people it's artists it's music it's it's vibe and I don't know. You miss it all if you're just looking at a goddamn computer screen all day. We miss it all. It makes me a little sad, you know? Because I, I get it. It's addictive. I can totally go waste three hours on Insta, too. But, you know, but it's a waste. And I'm fully aware of that, you know? Oh, yeah. I'm the same. I'm sure the- I should be doing something else more productive, you know? Oh, yeah. I do. I always think, like, for all the hours I spend online, I'm like, I could have read every book Charles Dickens wrote. Yes, and be postulating about it so other people are liking my posts, you know? Exactly. Like, do something with this stuff. I don't know. I don't know. We're just all trying to figure it out, right? We are. And survive. And as soon as We're we figure surviving. it out, it'll, it'll change as soon as we figure it out. Of course, so it'll be over. Right? It'll be over, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I just, I mastered Instagram, and it's like, Instagram's not cool anymore. And now um, it's done, right. <laughs> are you, so did you see bands like Bad Brains, Government Issue? Like, is that the kind of hardcore stuff you were seeing? Yeah, sure. You got it. Bad Brains is still probably my favorite band. Like, Bad Brains and Steel Pope, probably my favorite band. I I saw Bad Brains. I saw, like, at least, I don't know, two, three dozen of their shows. That shit was so alive. And it was so brilliant, too. I remember once I actually made my mother come. 
and see that the people in the mosh pit were not hurting each other because there, there is, or was, I don't know, this idea that it's like, you know, that it's just visceral and dangerous and it can be, I guess, but you know, it's like mosh pits were wonderful places to express yourself. And it was wonderful to run up on stage. And then I, I think I actually had HR throw me off the stage once back into the crowd and I didn't get hurt. I had a wow. blast. It was fantastic. It was like, this is, this is joy, you know, like it's, 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 I don't know. Yeah. That, that tour was amazing. So amazing. Bad Brains is fantastic. It's great that you mentioned them. Do you like them? Oh, I love them. Yeah. I love Bad Brains. I mean, it's classic music. I know, but, but these days, anytime I hear somebody tell me that they play rock and reggae, I'm like, like, Bad Brains, like, <laughs> like Bad Brains. And I actually met somebody who said they play rock and reggae and hadn't heard of Bad Brains lately. And I was like, well, I don't need to check out your band at all because <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, what are you really you think you're inventing the wheel really okay good luck with that but um yeah but you know what's funny honestly there's i know i hate to sound like just that you know old chick or something but like i because I, I know there's amazing music out there right now but like i don't find it that much i i want it i like i search you know and i want to hear it and i want to be a part of a scene I want that culture. Like, where the hell is the new Bad Brains, man? Where is it? Because I want to go to that show and run up on the stage and get thrown off. Like, where's that show? I know. It, 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 it's weird because there's so much of it now that it's almost impossible to find, which is a paradox. I don't know if it's – yeah, but is it, all, is it all good? Because, I mean, you know, what's funny is that a lot of, a lot of the music in the hardcore era or in hardcore – the genre in general, a lot of it's screamy and loud. Maybe you don't always catch the lyrics. Sometimes you have to read it on the inside of the record or whatever, but like it was mostly positive. All the music I ever listened to as a kid was positive. Even if it sounded like, rah, 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 like the message was to find your peace and be yourself. And I don't know if I sense the message as much. I think that's what I miss when I listen to current hardcore and hard rock. Like there's this this band called Downset actually that has a version of a Bad Brains tune I think Shit Fit which I love and I love how they play it but you know what I've I've checked some of their other tunes and I'm like I don't know message wise like it's positive but I but I don't know it's not I don't know man I don't recognize that musicians realize how much power they have they have so much power you know right. they really and, do you tell and, kids what to do and they'll do it. <laughs> It's so true. And I think, you know, with Bad Brains, you know, HR was coming from a very specific place. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Well, of course, our music was so inspired. I mean, they were like a jazz funk band until they found Rastafari. And when something wakes you up, whether you you acknowledge or care about Rastafari or not, you have to appreciate that these people are inspired. And that's why they're giving you this music. Like... You know, inspiration is is magical. It, it's contagious. You know, it's powerful stuff, man. What powerful? What was it about hardcore that really spoke to you? Because I, for me, I liked the velocity. You know, I was uh, maybe like an, I just started <laughs> in like eighty five, eighty six. Yeah. I'm fifteen, sixteen years old. I'm a couple years older than you, and and mm-hmm. for me, it was like okay. the sheer muscle and velocity, energy, the yeah. energy, yeah. Yeah, for me too, for me too. I have to say, musically, the bands I got into the most, like I would repeat and go to see that specific band, I was always more pocket-oriented, like, you know, Bad Brains or like 24-7 Spies or like Faith 
or like ones that always had a little reggae or a little some kind of like you know not just like you know at some point I needed to break into the moth section or like chill or something like that but 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 in in truth these days I think there's a lot of bands trying to do the stuff that they were doing in the eighties, you know, and, and I think the energy is what they're going after, you know, cause that, that visceral energy is so fantastic. You lose five pounds in five minutes, you know, just <laughs> bouncing around. It's like the best, you know, it's fantastic. And, 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 and what kid doesn't need a release? You know, I, I almost became a statistician. It's weird. I know. But math is always my best subject. And for a little while in college, I was like super duper into statistics. And I learned that adolescence is actually the hardest time in our life. It's proven, scientifically proven, that your teen years are the hardest. Forget the 27 thing. It's hard to get through that year. I know a lot of people die 27, 28. But adolescence is incredibly challenging. And I think a place to go and burn off steam <laughs> and scream your head off and dance and be crazy, probably really healthy because I'm, I'm okay. I like, I like life. My life hasn't been easy, but I think those moments here and there, whether it was the hardcore shows or frankly last night when my period came and I made a mess and I was like, fuck, and I'm, ah, and I'm <laughs> like, this makes me feel so good. Like, I think we're supposed to let that shit out sometimes, man. Otherwise, otherwise, look at what happens. Look at what happens. Look how many shootings we've had this year in this beautiful country. What the hell is going on? Those fuckers need to go to a show and just, like, mosh. Don't you think? Oh, I couldn't agree more. Well, and that's, that's part of what I got from Bad Brains, you know? Remember one of their, the, P, the PMA, the positive mental attitude, you know? It's yeah. like my mom rolled her eyes because she, all she hears is, rah, 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 rah. she doesn't recognize that this guy's telling me just shit hard, keep it focused, be positive, let it out, and move forward. You know, like we need that. We need to move on. We need to be happy. Like life is just a—it's a gift, and then it's over. What the fuck? We take it so seriously. <laughs> it's Why so do we true. take it so seriously? It is, isn't it? I mean, I'm as guilty of that as anybody else, you know, but then every now and then I recognize that I'm wasting my time on something I can't control. And I'm like, oh, my God, you dumb twit. Go have fun. <laughs> like, just go do something fun, you know? How, <laughs> Life how did like, the, the, the spirit of hardcore, how did that show up in your own music? I don't know. It's interesting. You know, I don't know. I mean, on a musical level, it's in there probably because I argue with any producer I've ever worked with. And I'm like, yeah, no. Here's how I hear it. But, but then, but then in some ways, I think, I think it's really just like the positive mental attitude for me. Like, I just want to be myself. If I'm going to bother making a record, what's the point of you telling me how you want to do it? Like, let's do that on your record. You know, like, I mean, this is supposed to be some little tiny capsule with Alana Davis crap. So like, let Alana Davis, like work it out on this record. I played all the bass. Isn't that crazy? I love that. I've, as I told you, I wanted to be a bass player. That's all I wanted to ever do, right? You'd be a bassy in a freaking reggae band. So finally, on this record, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to play the goddamn bass lines myself. And I had so much fun doing it. Actually, um, there's two songs where I didn't play the bass. But I had a blast with that. And I don't know. I think it's an attitude, you know, like, 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 like you have it as well. Don't you just be yourself. Oh, and yeah. if you can't do yourself, you go and write it in the corner, but you still have to be yourself. 
you have to do it somehow, you know, it's, I don't know. It makes me a little sad in some ways because I already see like, you know, my daughter trying to do like this or be like that. And I'm like, wow, such a waste of time. You know, at some point you're so lucky to find who you are. If you can be who you are, you're so far ahead of the game, you know? <laughs> I know. I know. And sometimes finding that out is realizing who you aren't, you know, it's like, I'm not like all these people. Yes. Yes. That's huge. Yes, that's a huge part of it, of course. Yeah, process of elimination. Any way you can do it, please find yourself, you know? That's right. That's I mean, right. Yeah, and you know what? We always change. So you can find yourself and then change and be somebody different in a few years. But, but still, I mean, otherwise, what's the point? You know what I mean? Like, there's a ton of other people trying to do, you know, whatever. Like, whatever is already being done is clearly not what we're supposed to do. It's fucking obvious. No, otherwise, we would just all be realtors. Ah! Thank you for saying realtor. Can I, can I just thank you for saying realtor? Because you know what? Realtor is not a word. And no. people need to stop saying realtor. And it really bothers me. It's like right up there with library, you know? It's like, <laughs> I'm going to say realtor. Very I can tell you. people say realtor. I'm I know. I am a native Not Californian. A word. <laughs> my, my California brethren, they all think there's an A in that word. Right! Right! And they're putting it in the wrong place. It's wrong. It's wrong. It's so just, it's just like, it's like, can we, can we also, while we're on the topic, what the hell is mischievous? <laughs> Hello? Sorry. Also, not a word. No, so there's true. an extra I in there. It's mischievous. Get it right. Come well, on. Here, here's another one for you. You know, prerogative is actually spelled prerogative. Prerogative. I, yeah. I did know that. I'm yeah. a grammar bitch. I did know that. I love it. Now, was the bass guitar your first instrument? Yeah, totally. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I got a bass. I forget how I got it, but I got it. It was cheap. Yeah. I got a bass at a pawn shop and yeah, I loved it. My, of course, because of those bad brain shows. And because of my Bob Marley records and my Steel Pulse records, all I wanted to do was go but I wanted to have that power because to me, that's the melody line. Like in any music to this day, the first thing I listen for is the bass. If the bass line's not happening, I don't even check for the lyric. Is that fucked up? But that's my reality. That's me. I, I'm all about the bass. That's the melody line to me that means something. And part of why... Um, I've, reggae has always been like kind of my favorite music, like melodically, because the bass runs the show, you know, like if there's not a good bass line, there's no song. <laughs> they don't even bother to <laughs> write the song without a good bass line. <laughs> That's so you true. Know? Yeah, it's true. And it's part of why I had to play the bass on this record because, you know, I play acoustic guitar. And so I don't think people realize that the beat in my head is a one drop and and then when it goes to the chorus, I usually hear it thrash. That's my, it's all imaginary, of course, but, um, but I had to leave that this time a little bit so that I could just, you know, just make it comfy because hell, it's music, right? Well, yeah. If it doesn't suit you, why, why make it? Yeah. Um, and I actually like, yeah? No, sorry. I'm sorry. No, I was just going to say, I actually like how the record came out, but I can't wait to make a live recording. I'm excited to do more shows, and I'd love to make a live recording where there's, like, you know, that energy where you're just, like, playing everything a little faster, and there's, you know, a little crowd vibe, you know, people to help me remember the lyric I might forget. Well, fun stuff. Like, just, you know, I want to do it again. 
I just want to do it again. A little more, <clears throat> little more raw, a little more stripped down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I want to do it again. I mean, I've been, I've started to tour on this record, but it's, you know, it's like a little bit here, a little bit there. I want to just go out with the band, make that shit tight and stellar, and then record it all again because I love these songs. <laughs> I love them too. I, I, I love, love this record. The, you know, one of the things that always, Thank oh, I you. love it. I love it. And it, you, you know, one of the things about you that I've Thank always you. admired is you have such control of your voice. Like I love your phrasing. Oh wow! You got you got to have musical ears to hear that. When you say you use the word phrasing, <laughs> then I know you're a real listener. <laughs> because phrasing suggests that you not only hear the pitch, but you hear like where the notes fall and drop, and the time signature, and you hear the rhythm of the vocal and all of that. Thank you for, thanks for hearing that. Thank you. Well, I'm you know. I only do what I do, and I know it's not like what everybody else does, but I just hope that that is as much a positive as a negative. (laughs) (laughs) What, just out of curiosity, what was your, your musical bond with your father? Like, did he, was he like, what is all this reggae? Or what was your relationship with him musically? Oh, no, my dad was a rockster for a time, actually. I still have his dreadlocks, which is creepy, because he's dead. But um, he was, um, I mean, jazz, as you know, is a style of music. But before it was a style of music, it was a headspace. And he was that guy. He, like, he just had that headspace. Anything he would approach from, you know, he was incredible. He, he would make leather suits. He was, a, he was a tailor. He was into all sorts of interesting things. And everything he did was like art and like jazz. You know, jazz is really just a word for artful music, in my, in my opinion. You know, because a lot of pop music is based on rote and a certain, like, you know, formula. Um, but if music is not formulaic, it's jazz, I think, because frankly, jazz is created in the moment, you know, usually, even if you write a beautiful head, they go, it's only going to last so long. And then the freedom comes. And that's what makes that style of music so special. So, um, so, so as a jazz musician, he, he loved reggae too, because to be honest, reggae is also a conversation that way. I don't know if you hear, if you've heard a lot of older reggae recordings, specifically the older ones, you know, I love them. Yeah. Um, I love them where it's not just a rhythm. It's like a band and a singer and the singers introducing himself often to the band never met before session band. And they just, they play in the moment. They're in the moment you hear the first verse sounds one then one way. The second verse is a little faster and you hear the guitar player react to the singer. And the third verse, everybody's jamming. It's really not that different from jazz. Um, and so I think that's part of why it's also very natural to me. The conversations that you hear in old school reggae and some of those older recordings are just live. You hear the people, you hear the breath, you hear the laugh, you hear the cough, you know, and all of that is just this live music, you know? So, so no, he, I, I wish that he and I had actually gotten to talk about music more than we did. We really didn't that much, you know, just like as a kid, you know, he just was my dad and I didn't think about it. And he wasn't around all the time. He, his first love was his music, not his babies. He had a lot of babies. And I think I was the only one who went down the musical road. So, you know, so we had a special thing, no doubt, but yeah, but he just was doing his music thing. And and he was just glad that I was into music. He loved when, like, he'd come over, and I might not have seen him for a fucking year. And I would say, 
hey, play that one that goes, or whatever, and I'd tell him the melody and be like, well, she's got the ears. And I would just, you know, wait for him to play for me. And he was a beautiful player. And um, and that was our connection. It was really simple and non-judgmental. And, and I was just thankful. Just thankful for music. You know, this is just saves my life every fucking day but <laughs> i'm very curious like the being a statistician like th- that dream that dream was never fulfilled <laughs> but what, what was going on there well i've just it's the only subject i was any good at was math and science i was pretty good at science but ironically even though you and i could go like to grammar wars and i'm an incredibly incredibly sticklerish kind of bitch when it comes to the English language. I was horrible in English. I was horrible in social studies, every other subject. So by the time I went to college, I focused on, I focused on the things I usually got A's on. So, um, so it was weird. My statistician teacher, he actually said to me once, Mr. Snedeker, he's one of the most lovely teachers I've ever had. And he said to me, you know, Alana, you ace this test like you ace every test, but do you really see yourself being a statistician? <laughs> and I looked at him with his pocket protector, you know, and his plaid shirt and his three pens and his, you know, and I'm looking, I'm like, no, I don't think I'm you. No, I don't think I really am you. No, but, but I do, but I do like, I like facts. I like things that, I think that's what I liked about math. You know, like there's one right answer. I tell my daughter all the time, you know, like, I'm like, why are you getting frustrated? There's one right answer. There's no, there's no gray area here. Like, figure out the formula, boom, 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 right answer every single time. Like, let's do this. We can do this. She doesn't yet love math, but I love it. And I think it connects with music. I think it's a similar kind of a thing. It's a rhythmic way of thinking or looking at things and finding the patterns, you know? And music's like patterns. It's mean, I don't know. I think it just, I don't know. It's the same. It's the same. No? I, I totally know what you mean. And, and with art, it, it's interesting because like I'll do a reading, and as I'm reading, I'm adding mm. new things in. I'm always changing. Of course, <laughs> right? Of course, there's, there's no because one in the answer. moment. No, no, there isn't. No, and that's what's beautiful about math. That's what's so beautiful. And and you know what? Statistics I thought was was really cool. Um, and it hasn't gone away. I still stay abreast of statistics um, because I find them fascinating. Um, I think it's interesting still that as you look around us, you know, we can all try as hard as we want to make individual thoughts and be individual people. But the truth is we, most of us fall into one, you know, statistic or another. And, and it's just, it's just the truth, you know, it's like, you know, some things we can control other things we can't. And I appreciate some of those things that are just simple black and white. It just makes me feel safe. I mean, did you did you think about gender when you were playing, you know, the horde back in the '90s? Was that something you were thinking about? And then, do you think about it now? And how has that changed? That's a hard question. I realize your questions are so freaking deep, Alex. I love this. Fantastic. No, I mean, did I think about gender? No, I have a vagina, so I didn't think about it. I just, I have. You got what you got, but I mean. It's interesting, though. Yeah, I mean, especially the way I grew up in New York City, you have to know I saw far more dicks and strange shit walking home on those streets at night than I should have seen for my young years as a kid. Um, And so um, and I think even not growing up in a city, I think every woman kind of grows up with a certain amount of pressure to to be (laughs) to be desirable, to be whatever you know like 
it's a man's world. I don't, I mean, there's probably kids out there today. They're like, no, no, it's a gender equal, blah, blah, blah world. It's like, no, it's fucking not. It's not. And, and I think most women that I know have had, you know, some shit slung in their face and it becomes hard, you know, especially when you want to do what you do and be respected. Um, and you still have to be pretty. You still got to be nice. And you still got to kind of appear available so that they can watch you even though they can't fucking have you. It's such bullshit, man. I mean, I don't, I don't blame her. That's a harder game to play at 50 than it is at 20. Trust me. You know, the flirty eyes are really easy to give at 20. At 50, not everybody wants you, you know? So it's a harder game. But, but the reality is at some point, you know, we have to recognize that this is something that men go through too. And I have it lot of dear friends who you know they don't even realize this is their world but then here I go talking about oh no a gray hair popped up or oh no my my love handles or oh no and they're they're right there with me they feel it too and I think it would be wonderful if more women would realize that men have all of the same pressures against them I have my favorite cousin well I shouldn't say favorite it's horrible it makes all my other cousins would be mad if they heard this I um <laughs> But my dearest, my closest cousin, I should say, um, I remember once I was talking to him about, like, you know, like, just getting older. And he looked at me and he was like, you think men don't go through this? You know? And I think what's, what's unfortunate is that there's a massive disconnect because, Alex, I'm, I know you go through the same shit we do. Don't of you? Of course. Of course. Of course you do. Yeah. We're famous for it and we're the ones going to get Botox and fake this and fake that and suck this and all this bullshit. But the reality is men go through it too. And we should all probably just be able to accept ourselves at some point. Right. Love handles and all. I mean, there isn't, what's the other choice? You know, you can sort of kick and scream as much as you like. Yeah. You can hate yourself and kick and scream. Right. Sounds wonderful. Let's do that. No, (laughs) there's a lot of kicking and screaming going on with this rapidly graying uh, man over here. It's how it goes though. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it's so funny, though, you know, like as a woman, I think I think it's really typical that, for example, like right now, before I go on tour, uh, I'm like, OK, I'm looking at my top 10 again. You know, the last three months, I've been, it's been holidays it's been this and that, you know, I'm like, OK, I'm going to want to lose this weight when I da 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 da, you know, and I think about it and I go, this is so crazy. Like, this is what all women do is like, you know, we we try to be comfortable with ourselves we're so happy for that time to just be yourself and then when it's time to like maybe join the ranks or whatever you have to be received a certain way and it really kind of sucks because the truth is you know like I want you to know who for who I really am so if I dress up too nice or if I look like I was skinny this week and I was skinny last week too and I wasn't I dropped 10 pounds before that damn show you know like if if we could just be real, I think chances are people would get more from one another, you know, recognize that we're all kind of the same, you know, like my cousin who's like, he's looking at me like, you want to lose 10 pounds. I'd like to get back the hair I fucking lost, you know, like, <laughs> you know, I can lose that 10 pounds. He can't probably get back that hair. I don't know. You know, all I could do was hug him, you know, it's like <laughs> nobody's fucking perfect. No, do we have to hate ourselves for it? Or can we just love ourselves for it? Love ourselves for the fact that we know everybody's just like us. <laughs> well, you know, the people you know? the people that have sort of accepted those things and they don't really give a shit about them, those people are so, – they have an, a confidence about them that is They're really so beautiful. so beautiful. 
it's so beautiful. I'd like to think most of the time I'm that way, you know, but, but then there's other times I'm totally haired, you know, there's this lovely, um, I have some, I have some very, very, very cool friends, you know, some older than I, some younger than I, mostly older, but then I have a couple young friends, man. And every now and then I see them and I'm like, wow, you know, you just don't even appreciate how incredible you are because they're so bogged down by the need to be perfect. And I'm like, you're already 20 fucking four. You are perfect. <laughs> like, yeah. that's as good as it gets. Like, <laughs> what? <laughs> like, you're upset about that 10 pounds or something you'd like to lose or, or, you know, like, that's gone in a week. Like, Jesus Christ, you can't fix stupid, right? That's what they say. You can't fix stupid. You can't, maybe you can't fix ugly, but you, these days we can, you know. But um, anything else, everybody should enjoy their lives. I mean, Christ, look at the world. This shit could be gone in a day. We have a buffoon with access to the button. Ugh. I know. It freaks me out all the time. I think about and that. I and I don't it, it even want to go there. Ugh. I don't want to talk about politics at all. I don't talk about politics. But let's be real. Like, we're, like, come on. This is, like, a weird time. This is a great time to just be yourself. Enjoy your fucking self. Because this, this, too, shall pass. You know, that's right. And that's exactly right. And then, yeah. And then we'll get back to work right now. Be you because you're amazing already. Like, like, look, look at the pinnacle. That's I've not, nothing to look up to right now. <laughs> May as well be yourself. You know? Yeah, you should. Yeah, don't fight it. Um, are you how is your relationship to playing live? Like, are, did, did that come back to you in a were you nervous? Did you still feel that kind of tension? No, now I'm painfully comfortable when I play live. Painfully. No, motherhood changed everything. I'm not scared of anything anymore. I don't vomit before shows. I don't even get nervous. I, I care. I care, but I don't, I don't want to, I don't, no. I just, I love it. I just, I just love it. I think, I, I think it's been long enough that I've been off of the road that I just love it. I want the eye contact and I want the physical contact and I just, and I want the requests and I, and I want the stories of how over these 20 years, you know, <laughs> since the last time I saw you or whatever, like those stories, <laughs> it's just not, nah, it's, it's, um, it's wonderful coming back. It's different. It's very different than it was because I'm kind of an older, older bitch now, you know? Um, and I think people look up to me in a way that's kind of funny because my life is still a shamble, you know, but, um, but I'm old. So if, if people want to look to me and ask me for wisdom, I'll drop some kind of knowledge on them. I don't know if it's right or wrong, but I'm happy to drop it. You know, you, uh, that I, I that I am. <laughs> I can't even tell you how happy I am that you're back. It's, it makes me so happy. I love your record so much. Um, oh my God! Do you really? I do. Because I feel like ten people have heard it, and I and I really I really love it. But I'm not really doing a fancy thing with the release of this record or anything. I'm kind of just like trying to just come. I'm just here. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just here. Nothing you know, fancy. I'm just here. <laughs> I'm like I heard it, and I was like, I, when I talk to her, I'm gonna tell her, don't don't go away again. You have to keep making records. <laughs> oh my god thank you so much thank you so much that means so much i really want to make more records but i but i realize as i i realize it's you know i guess music's not for every no music is for everyone and i guess 
And I think I think the way I started, you know, with Electra and stuff, I think the whole sort of pop framework that I was initially put in made me feel like my tunes couldn't just be my tunes, you know? And with the upbringing I come from, my tunes aren't really, I'm not really built for, I'm not built like Taylor Swift. Do you know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm, I'm built and I, and I, that was not a diss, you know, I, I just, I'm not really built to be a, a pop star until, until pop is like, you know, is like grunge meets reggae, you know, I don't know. But I mean, my stuff is, I don't know, my stuff is just my stuff, but I'm so thankful that I think there may be just a handful of people who are still happy to hear it. I'm, oh my I, God. I think, I think more than a handful, uh, far more than a handful. I, you know, for me, I put you up there with like, you know, in terms of knowing who you are, you remind me of like Sade or Kate Bush or in the sense that you it's very clear that to me, you're very in control of your artistic aesthetic. You know who you are. That's about the only thing I do know, Alex. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Isn't she the best? Did you fall in love with her in that conversation? I know I did. Over and over again. Uh, Here's some tour dates for Lana Davis. January 29th at the Hotel Cafe in L.A. January 30th at the Hotel Utah in San Francisco. I'll be there. Uh, February 2nd, Fremont Abbey Art Center in Seattle, Washington. And February 4th at the White Eagle in Portland, Oregon. For more information, visit the Alana Davis Artist page on Facebook or just go to alanadavis.com. As for me, you can visit me online at alexgreenonline.com or on Twitter. Follow me there at Embers Editor or on Instagram, Embers Podcast. Okay? Now, if there's a guest you want me to book on the show, please email me, editor at stereoembersmagazine.com. Let me know who it is. No guest is too big or too small for me to pursue them with a microphone. Okay? I'll do my best to get everyone I can on this show for you. All right? Now, do something for me. If you're on iTunes, subscribe to the podcast, give us a rating. That kind of thing makes a huge difference. Okay? All right. No more begging. I'll leave it there. And I'm going to leave you with a new song by Alana Davis. This is What a Mess. Okay? Enjoy it. I'll see you next week for another episode of Stereo Embers, the podcast. Heard exclusively only here on Bombshell Radio. Do I-